Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. other nation where we say hey we're coming into the holiday soon as soon as Halloween was over they ripped all the Halloween signs off of the buildings all the Christmas and Thanksgiving stuff went into the into the stores you started to hear Christmas music already you're starting to smell the candles burning in these areas and many of us we get high or we get low right we get all excited about the holidays and some of us are all depressed about what we've been through and what we've lost and this idea is that not only do we have holiday seasons but we have holy days seasons where God is saying let the world do what they want to do and, and let the world fight about what color your Starbucks cup is and let the world fight about if they said Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays you need to be much more spiritual than that if that's the big fight of your lives again this year in 2017 like it was in 16 and 15 you're missing it again he's calling us to live on a much higher plane than that somebody say amen, amen. So that's what our series is about. Let's look at the holy days and let's look at the season. Let's get what God has for those who are believers in this season. Let's give to those who are lacking the things of God. And let's not get caught up in the holidays. So in week one, uh, we looked at the Feast of Unleavened Bread and we looked at the Passover. So uh, the children of Israel got saved or uh, we had uh, this deliverance out of Egypt and it was because they were passed over. They killed and slaughtered a lamb. They put the blood of the lamb over their door. The angel of death came through Egypt. It killed all the firstborn of, of the people and of the livestock except for those who were covered by the blood. They were passed over, right? So then they have this Passover. They leave out of Egypt. They have to eat unleavened bread because the bread will go bad if, uh, if it's your normal type of loaf of bread or bread with leaven that, that rises with yeast. So they eat these crackers and it's for seven days as they come out of Egypt and they get into the wilderness, right? So God says every single year I want you to have a holy day season of Passover and unleavened bread. So every year they've got to remember what God did upon that journey. We saw at the end of that uh, particular uh, service of holy day seasons that, that Jesus becomes the Passover lamb, right? It's his blood that covers us and allows us not to be killed and not to experience death but to enter into life. Right. In week number two, last week we saw the Feast of First Fruits and we saw Pentecost. So at the same time as they're going out, the very first that they receive from the land, they've got to give it back as an offering to God. It's the very first fruits. We talked about, you might see, you might plant a, a garden. Anybody plant gardens here? Any of you guys growing stuff? Chilies, tomatoes, potatoes, whatever else you're growing? Amen. So that very first one that sprouts, we said that that's the feast of your first fruits. You're supposed to come back and say, God, look, I've got the first chili. I've got the first tomato. I've got whatever it is. And you come back and you give it to God saying, I wouldn't have this if it wasn't for you. 
You're the one that gave this to me. I don't know how seeds die and grow. I don't know what's in the soil. I don't know about the water. I know you created the sun and photosynthesis. That's me just giving back to you because I know it came from you. We talked about it also means that we are men and women of faith. You only give the first if you expect that there's going to be more coming behind it. Right? Somebody say amen. amen. If you thought that that was all you were going to get, you'd hoard it to yourself. You wouldn't care who gave it to you, and you would just not give. But we give saying, Lord, we know it comes from you, and we know you've got more on the way. Right? Like Raymond said, we're going to go out, and we're going to feed a bunch of people today. We're going to bless them with prayer. And many of us are expecting to get fed on Wednesday. We're expecting to get fed on Thursday with our families. Right? So after that, we had Pentecost, which was 50 days after the Passover. All right, so first week was, was Passover, second week was Pentecost. Uh, after seven full weeks and one day, the 50th day, you have what's called Pentecost. That's the day that the word came to Moses up on Mount Sinai, giving the people, not only did you get physically delivered, not only did you get passed over, but now I have my word for you that's going to lead and guide your life. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus. He's the Passover lamb. He dies. And then 50 days later, the Holy Spirit comes into a church just like this one, and he rains down his spirit. All of a sudden, they're filled in a new way. So we had, the Bible says this, my people will worship me in spirit and truth. Say spirit. spirit. Say truth. truth. The word of God is his truth. Moses got that up on Mount Sinai. But what empowers us as men and women of God today is his spirit, which is what Jesus delivered on the day of Pentecost after he left. Right? So you have this progression. If you're paying attention to the holy days, God's like, I've got a system. I've got a calendar. Everything you guys put into place, all you're doing is trying to map out what I laid before you even existed. Right? Even Jesus, when he was here, he says, listen, you guys are hypocrites. You can read the seasons. You can read the times. You know the stars. You know when rain is coming, but you don't know when God is in your presence. Why? Because you need the spirit and the truth. Somebody say amen. amen. So I hope you guys are ready. Today, in week number three, I'm ready. Anybody ready? Say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Whew. Week number three, we're going to look at trumpets and atonement. Trumpets and atonement. So that's why you got the video. You got the shofar, you got the trumpet um, <clears throat> of God. Why don't we pray? Lord, we thank you for bringing us into your house. We thank you that just when we think we, we know maybe all there is to know about you, you just remind us there's so much more that you have for us, so much deeper you want to take us, Lord God. I ask that this morning, Lord, that you would touch my mouth, Lord, that it would be your words and not my words, Lord God, that we would worship you truly in spirit and truth, Father God, that we would not forsake the assembly, that we would remember what it means to come into your house, to be in your presence, that we would remember that those who aren't with us here today to pray for them. They are part of this body. They are part of our family, Lord. We love them. We love their children, Father God. We pray for those who are separated from us right now because they've gone up to a mountain to meet with you, Lord. Just meet with them wherever they are, Father God. Cover our children with a hedge of protection, Lord Jesus. And we just ask that in this season, this holy day season, Lord, that we would look beyond even our own church, beyond even those that we would minister today to with food, Lord God, and just to this whole world that belongs to you, those who are hurting, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see, that you, that you would awaken our spirits to recognize when a, when a family member over these next few weeks that we meet with might be hurting, Father God. When a loved one, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, whoever it may be that we encounter, Lord, you're not bringing us back together just to say another year of Thanksgiving, Lord. You are sending your servants into a dark place to provide light, Father God, to see those who are hurting in darkness and death and to draw them into the light and into life, Lord. Prepare us and equip us even this morning to do and to be part of your will being done. We love you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. First scripture, Leviticus chapter 23, 
Verse 23, and this is in the same portion of Scripture where we've been learning about the first uh, few Holy Day seasons, and now we're going to get to the third. Uh, Leviticus 23, 23, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day, say tenth. On the tenth day of this seventh month, you shall be, or of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. Verse 29, for any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from this people. And any person who does any work on that same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever. Say forever. forever. Say forever. forever. Forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the ninth month at evening. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. All right, so the first one we're looking at, like I said, is trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah in, uh, in uh, uh, the Hebrew or Jewish language, right? So in the video, you, you heard them speaking Hebrew, then you heard it in English, and then you saw the shofar or the trumpet, uh, just like we do at Jericho, right? At the end of Jericho, we, we hear this trumpet blast from the shofar, the walls come down, so on and so forth. This one, though, the Feast of Trumpets, it was for their celebration of New Year. This was the beginning of their year, and they were called to have this time of remembrance. Until, like we saw last week, or two weeks ago, until the Passover was instituted, and then God said, now you have a new beginning, a new New Year. Up until now, up until this point, it was this Feast of Trumpets, or excuse me, this celebration of trumpets, where that's their New Year, the trumpet blows, you have this time of remembrance. It said it was on the first day of the seventh month, when this was supposed to take place, and it called it a Sabbath. Let's remember, what is a Sabbath? It's important to know all these words because it, it really makes sense. What is a Sabbath? Time of rest and a time of remembrance, right? The first Sabbath was when the Lord rested. He created everything in six days and said on the seventh day he rested. He had a Sabbath. Then he told Moses, he said, listen, you tell all the people that they need to have a Sabbath to me every single week. Every Saturday, every uh, seventh day, uh, or for them it was the first day of the, of the week, he said, it's a Sabbath. I don't want you doing anything but resting and remembering who I am and what I've done, right? So it's always kept on Saturday. Uh, actually, it's Friday evening through Saturday. When we went to Israel in 2014, uh, me and one of our other elders, we, you get onto um, the elevator and you're not allowed to push the button. It just starts on its own on Saturday. From Friday evening till Saturday evening, you don't even touch the button. It automatically opens the door and it stops on every floor. So if you're going to five, nobody's pushing one, two, three, four, but it's going to stop on one, two, three, four before you get to five. It's a little bit ridiculous because there's the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, but nobody's allowed to work. Nobody's allowed to travel. You have this time where you're just supposed to be focused on the Lord. <clears throat> So following this particular one that we're looking at, Leviticus chapter uh, 23 this morning, it says that you have a Sabbath on the first day of the month, right? 
which would be that Saturday. Then eight days later is going to be another Saturday, and you're going to have another Sabbath from Friday evening into Saturday. But this time it says on the 10th day, you're also going to have another Sabbath, which would be Sunday into Monday. That's not a Sabbath that the Lord typically calls for. It's not your weekly Sabbath. So there's something special going on here that we might want to open our ears to and open our eyes and see if God might show us some things as we go through this. So the trumpets, uh, remembrance or memorial in verse 24 is about remember God is our creator. God created the universe. God created the world. God created all of the people in the world. And what does God say about the people he, cre he created? He created them holy and in his own image. When you look at people, when you are introduced to people, when you look at cultures, when you uh, are introduced to friends of friends, do you look at that person as this is a person who's been created in the image of God? Focus up. Do you look at it as people who have been created in the image of God? That's a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God. That's how he says he created us, holy. Let me ask you this. <clears throat> if you think about and remember and take the Sabbath time to think about God and how holy he is and how perfect he is and everything he created and all the people that he created, wouldn't you think it might be also impossible not to consider how far we've fallen? Something that was so perfect, is that the world you see? Is that the news you watch? Are those the stories that are constantly pumping through CNN and Fox and every other news outlet? Even when you miss them now, they show up on Facebook. People don't even have to post about it. They just show up now, right? I opened it up. Like I said, one minute I'm looking at people in their house preparing to bless people with food. The very next thread is some, some guy that, that went on a shooting rampage and killed five more people. When you look at your own life, is it, is it hard to, to make a connection between how you start as a child? I mean, we saw a baby here this morning. We've got other babies in the church, and it's like, look at them. They're so beautiful. They're so precious. Even when they cry and poop, you kind of like it. It's like, oh, you're, you're so good. God made you perfect. And then it doesn't take long before we screw all that up. Somebody say amen. <laughs> then we're looking at these other little ones where we're like, oh, this is so amazing. But many of us as parents were like, it ain't going to last long, though. Give another couple years and we're going to be dealing with the same drama that we dealt with the other youth with, right? And the same drama that we deal with the, youth, with the young adults with. And then many of us who are adults, it's the same drama. Like, we understand, man, you created this special, perfect thing, God, and look what we've done with it. You've given me this special, perfect life, and look what I've done with it. <clears throat> it's interesting that this is the first of all the holy days, seasons that we've looked at. <clears throat> where you're not actually required to travel to Jerusalem for a feast or celebration, right? The other two weeks, you remember, they said every year you got to come back to Jerusalem. All these people are there. Remember, Jesus was there for the 12th year when he was 12 years old because every year they went back. Why do you think they didn't have to go back for this one? You know why? <laughs> because this one's pretty personal. God and who he is and how good he is and how fallen and unholy you are and I am. We don't need a whole group of people. We don't need a, a congregation of folks to travel miles and miles to figure that out. Somebody say amen. amen. Right in the comfort of your own home, you can see how jacked up you are. So here it is. Even early on in this, in this, uh, this message, the idea that there's a personal or individual call to remember who God is, right? A personal and individual call to remember how unholy you and I are, um, and we see that this is connected somehow between this trumpet and remembrance and this idea of atonement. Like something's got to be done about it. Somebody say amen. amen. 
So what is atonement? Let me give you the definition. It's satisfaction or reparation for a wrong or an injury or to make complete amends. So if you're going to have an atonement, you have to satisfy or give reparations for what you've done, right? So if you do somebody wrong, you cannot just say, I'm sorry. You have to actually satisfy or a reparation is to repay somebody. If you took something from them, you can't just say, hey, I'm sorry about that. If you're actually going to atone for it, you have to say, I'm sorry about that. And here's what I took from you. If you read through Exodus and Leviticus, what God constantly is saying is when you do somebody wrong, not only do you have to pay them back, but how often does he say you have to do twice as much, four times as much, restore them seven times from whatever you took from them. This idea of atonement is big with God. Many of us, even when in our relationships, it's the holiday season in America, and many of us have people that we need to get right with, people we need to apologize to, people we need to make amends with, and you know what? You can't just say, hey, I'm sorry about what happened last year. I'm hoping we can, we can have a good time this year. What you need to do is say, I'm sorry about what happened last year, and, and is there anything I can do to repay you for what I've done? You see the difference in that humility? You see the difference in that phone call? It's not just a text, hey, are you going to make it this Thanksgiving? You know what I've been thinking about last year and some things that I said, and i got to tell you I was wrong and I apologize, and I'm really hoping to make it up to you this year. Is there anything that you need? Is there anything that your family needs? Is there anything that I can do to just to make things right? Amen. See, I'm taking you up to that, that spiritual level. If you want to stay down on that earthly level, then we could stay down there, right? Just go ahead, see if they show up. But if you want to get up to that spiritual level where God's saying, be like Christ, turn the other cheek, allow yourself to be taken advantage of, allow yourself to get the short end of the stick. I'm going to get myself in trouble. Let me stick to the notes. So that's atonement. Verse 26 and 27 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the tenth day of this seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall afflict your soul. Remember, this is an extra Sabbath. This is some, some added-on stuff that's not of the norm. What does it mean to afflict your soul when it says that? First day was the trumpets. The, the next uh, seventh day or the eighth day would be a new Sabbath. But on the tenth day, he says, not only are you going to have another Sabbath, but you are going to afflict your souls. He's taking it to another level on us. Afflicting our soul is about fasting. Say fasting. fasting. Not fasting so you can eat more on Thursday. <laughs> fasting to afflict your soul spiritually and biblically is what he's talking about. So two things that are happening here. Uh, this is the first time that you're not going back to Jerusalem for a holy day and for a feast. This is something personal. And this is the first time that a fast is associated with this season or this holy day season. Listen to this, Isaiah 58. One of the most powerful scriptures about fasting. Isaiah 58, verse 6. God says this, Is this not the fast that I have chosen? Many of us, we choose our own fast. If you are going to fast, somebody say amen. I'm not going to watch TV. I'm not going to eat burgers. I'm not going to do whatever it is. You choose this fast of whatever it is that you want to deny yourself of, which is still a good thing. But God says this, I have a fast that I've chosen for you. Well, you don't get to say what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. And is, is this Lent or is this that or is this? Somebody say amen. amen. He says, I chose one for you. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? 
When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. What a scripture. God's saying, you can do your own little fast, but this is the fast that I've called you to. To afflict yourself, to deny yourself, to focus all of your attention on me, to meet the needs of others, right? Then you will become a light in a dark world. You will call out to me and I will hear you. You will cry and I will say, here I am. He says, I'll meet all of your needs. You'll be like a, 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 a reservoir of water, a spring that, that, that wells up with water, never thirsting, never hungry. This idea of a fast, afflicting yourself, denying yourself. So this season of trumpets and atonements, hopefully it's starting to become a little bit more clear. You have this remembering who he is and then being a little bit disgusted with yourself so you deny yourself and say, God, help me keeping your eyes focused on others who, who might be in need, and then this idea of, of atonement, something being done to fix it. Right? So we should always be remembering who God is. We should always be understanding that, that something has to be done. But in the holiday season, the holy day season, for us, we should be thinking about atonement. And if we're going to think about atonement, we should be thinking about Christmas, and we should be thinking about Easter, and we should have a Christmas season a Christmas holy day season and an Easter holy day season where it's not just one day or a month of shopping. It's this time of trumpets and atonement, trumpets and atonement. So here's what I want to do this morning. I'm going to read to you two portions of scripture, one from the Old Testament we'll break down a little bit and one from the New Testament we'll break down a little bit. And I believe what you'll be able to see is, you know, what it really means to have trumpets and atonement why it matters in 2017, why you shouldn't be playing around on your phone or unfocused on what's really going on this morning and how it's going to affect this holiday season or holiday season for you. <laughs> I believe with all my heart that some of us will leave after this next few minutes forever changed and some of us will leave just the same as we came in, but it's all contingent upon you. The Bible says that the same word goes forth, but some mix it with faith and they're changed and some do not and they're the same. You get to make your own decision this morning. Where we're going to be at is in Leviticus chapter 16. And after that, we're going to go to Hebrews. So Leviticus 16, when you're there, say, man, it's also going to come up for you. I may have given our media guys some false information on scriptures. I gave you most of it. 
Not all of it. And then I took some out that I gave you. Don't worry about it. Leviticus chapter 16, starting at verse 1. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they had offered profane fire before the Lord, and they died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with the linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine and bring it inside the veil and he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony lest he die he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his fingers on the mercy seat on the on the east side and before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil. Do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he may make atonement for himself for his household and for all the assembly of Israel and he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Stop there. It's verse 19. So here's the big picture that you need to have, is that there is a ceremony that's taking place, and it's a significant ceremony. Most of us, when we read the Bible, when we get to parts like this, we're like, I'm just going to skip over this. Just like when we get to the beginning, or when we read Genesis, and we see these, uh, this lineage, we're like, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't know how it can have any kind of impact or effect on me in the life that I live, but Please, this is not the same. <clears throat> First thing I want to I look at is in verse 2. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come in at just any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die, for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. So, 
First thing is that God saying to Aaron, whose sons just died, it said because they offered strange fire. So I want to give you some, some clear information. What we do on Friday night and praying in the spirit, it's not strange fire. It's not weird. It's not unbiblical. But just like Aaron's son, they tried to burn the wrong incense. They tried to come into a place where they didn't belong and God killed them dead for doing things that were unholy and unbiblical. Right? So that's not what we're going to be involved in here on Friday. It will be biblical and it will be holy according to his word. So God says this, Moses, tell Aaron, I know he's scared. I know his sons just died because they were acting a fool in here. Tell him, number one, don't just come in here whenever he wants to as a priest. It's going to be one day every year. And it's because I said so. That's when you can come into my presence. We have to listen to what God says. Somebody say amen. He's the authority. He tells us what to do and what not to do, when to do and when not to do, how to do and how not to do. You have to listen for his instructions. And it's very important. He says, well, I'm the priest. Shouldn't I be able to come in whenever I want? Shouldn't I be able to do whatever I want? God says, no, I'm God. Tell Aaron not to just be coming up in here. Very important. Second thing is in verse 4. He said, tell Aaron that he shall put on the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall gird, be girded with a linen sash and with the linen turban he shall be attired. These are the holy garments. Anybody know what's missing from our study in Exodus that he's not wearing? He's got a linen shirt on. He's got linen trousers on. He's got a sash on. He's got a turban. What's missing? The ephod. And what's in the ephod? All these jewels and all these diamonds and all these sapphires, all that stuff, right? And the shoulder pads that represent all these tribes with all these different precious stones in them. You know why it's missing? Because on this particular day, you're not coming in as royalty and as a priest who represents all these people. You're coming in as just like everybody else, a man who's full of sin. Nothing honorable about you. Nothing more precious about you. No stones and no rubies. You're just clothed like everybody else's clothes. Also very important on this particular day. In verse 5 it says, He shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram as a burnt offering. So the sin offering, God accepts it because he's saying, You have sinned, so you're giving me something that we're going to try to deal with your sin. This is an unholy offering. This is an unholy situation. I'm, I'm tied to something in this relationship with you that is it's all built around sin. Then he says the burnt offering, though, is something that's completely separated from sin. It's something that you can come and bring to God that's holy, that he's excited about, that gives him joy, right, when he receives something. So you see the two different things here? You have this burnt offering that you're giving to him that he's excited about, and then you have this sin offering where he's like, man, I wish I didn't even have to do this with you guys. So there's two types of offerings going on in this atonement time. Next one is in verse 6. It says, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. I told you earlier he doesn't have all these jewels on because he's just like everybody else. So to start this ceremony, the very first thing that he has to do is he has to come in and say, look, this bull is a sin offering for me, Aaron, and my sons, for my wife, for my family. We need to get right with you before we can even start dealing with other people. I hope that ministers to somebody in this room this morning. You need to get right with God before you start dealing with other people. You need to take care of yourself. You need to take care of your own family before you start looking at other families and other issues and other people. Aaron says, I know what I have to do. I can't just be coming in here at any time. And when I do come in here, I can't be focused on other people first. I got to be focused on myself. Ray started to mention this 
I think on Wednesday when he talked about what we talked about as men on Tuesday, and I just feel compelled. I don't mind sharing it in front of all of you ladies who are here because maybe you can help us and strengthen us and hold us accountable. We looked at Hebrews chapter 11, I believe it's verse 7, and it's the hall of faith, and it talks about all these different things that men and women did as men of faith. But in Hebrews 11, it says that Noah built an ark for the saving of his family. And what that means is, is that he had to build it. He had to find the materials. He had to engage them, but he knew why he was building it. He was building it for himself and he was building it for his family. There was a whole world of people that got drowned in a flood, but his family was saved because he built an ark. We need men who will build arks that can fit their families in them. The church is not your ark. The church ain't your ark. You better build your own. You want to be saved? Just like Aaron had to go in and offer a bull for himself and for his family, us men, we need to do whatever it takes to make sure that we and our families are saved. If other people ain't going to church, you better take your own family to church. If other people aren't reading in their homes, you better be reading with your own family at home. If other men are not praying or you're waiting for some other men or or a worship leader to, to stretch their hands out for your kids and to pray over them, right? If you're waiting for the pastors, like we have been doing this weekend, just praying, Lord, get them there safely, number one. Then we get a picture saying that they're there safe. Okay, Lord, now let's pray for you to move in their lives. Praise God for that. And then tomorrow morning, I'm going to be praying, Lord, get them home safely. But you parents better be doing that for your own ark. That's what's going on here with Aaron. He's saying, look, before I come in here and do all these other offerings, I'm bringing this bull for me and my family. Verse 7 said, then take two goats, present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other, loss, uh, or the other lot for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell, offered as a sin offering, but the goat on which the lot, uh, the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. This is amazing. Get this don't leave without getting this today. So if you ever heard, or if you ever wondered where the term scapegoat came from, this is where it came from. Everything that this world tries to pawn off as it own, you, it belongs to Jesus. This is where scapegoat comes from. So you've got these two goats, and he says, uh, one of them is going to be killed as a sin offering, but the other is going to be released into the wilderness. Why? So this is the amazing thing about our God. He says, listen, Atonement, we have to get right. It has to be made whole. There's a price that has to be paid. There's sin that's been committed that has to be dealt with. So he says, bring that sin offering to me, and we're going to kill it, and we're going to spread that blood. It's going to be Passover blood, and and sin is going to be dealt with. But I don't want my people to leave without understanding the other half of this, which is mercy. Look at this. He's saying, once your sin is dealt with, it's dealt with. Once it's, it's done, it's done. And this one that is going to be atoning for you as well, it's still part of the same atonement. He says, we are going to put our hands on it. We are going to transfer all this sin that was, partly, that was yours onto this, and then we're going to release it into the wilderness. Why? Because you'll never find it again, and you'll never see it again. It's gone as far as the east is from the west. Your sins have been paid for, and I'm merciful enough to know that anything else that takes place in your life, it's gone, and it's already been paid for as well. What an amazing God we have. When I'm sure that they couldn't understand it, just like we barely understand it today, he's like, it ain't about what you know, it's about who I am and how I'm making atonement for you. He's just and he's merciful. 
it's got to be dealt with, but we don't serve a God that just says, I'll, I'll just act like it never happened. He said, no, you're gonna, somebody's going to pay for it. Amen. And then I'm also going to show you I'm merciful towards you. Listen to Psalms 103, verse 10. It says, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's what it says. They've been dealt with, they've been atoned for, but he's also merciful and we don't have to carry this with us anymore. We don't have to carry the baggage. He says, there's another scripture that says that he'll remember it no more. You know how we always remember what people have done to us and we bring it up at the most inopportune time? <laughs> God's not like that. He ain't just waiting for you to be in the right position where he can throw your sin back at you. Where he can remind you of who you used to be and what you used to do and how you used to live. Man, he's a good God. So merciful. Verse 12, the next one. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine. Bring it inside the veil and he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony or else he'll die. It says lest he'll die. If he doesn't do this, he's going to die. So incense and smoke are always synonymous with prayer. It says that it's the prayer of the saints, right? It's a prayer of the people that's going up before the Lord. He says that even after all this, the bull and the goat, and one's going to be taken off and the other one's going to be killed. He says, still, on this one day that you come in, don't just run up in here all close to me behind the veil. He says, when you get ready to come behind the veil, you come in with some coals, you come in with this incense that's beaten fine, you lay it there, a giant cloud of smoke covers the whole room. Why? What is he saying? He's saying, you still have to come in with prayers of thanksgiving, and there still has to be something that separates me from you. Does that make sense? At this time, even though it's only one man coming in once a year, and he has to go behind the veil, he says, there's still going to be something between you and me. You're not just going to approach the holy God without prayer, without thanksgiving, and without some form of separation. Last two, verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So this is the end of it. He had to bring the bull first for his own sin and for his family's sin. He had to have this incense and this smoke and this prayer to be in the presence of God. Then he had to uh, also bring in this, this first goat and, and kill that and sprinkle the blood. And that's for all the people. So now it's done. Him and his family, every family, all the people of Israel, this, this, this blood has been sprinkled and the atonement's over and done with. Or so it seems, but there's more. Now the last one, verse 16 of this area. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of the transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of the uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out that he makes, may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. Verse 18, and he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times, cleanse it, and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. 
This part is so important for you, for me, and for who we used to be out in the world. So what happens here is Aaron makes atonement for himself and his family. Then Aaron makes atonement for all of the children of Israel. And then you know what it says here at, at this last portion? He makes atonement for the church. Like the physical tabernacle and church, all of the instruments, the, the altar that's outside. If you remember when we studied Exodus, all these different things that are in there, he has to go sprinkle blood on them and atone for them. Why? Why would he have to do that? If the people have already been atoned for, why would he have to do that? Think about it like this. We are sinful and we keep touching the church. We keep coming into the church. All year long, we've been coming in and out of this building. Go back 2,000 plus years, all year long, they came in and out of that tabernacle and their filth was getting all over it. And if it wasn't for God's grace and mercy, he wouldn't even let them that close to him. So imagine how filthy it is and God says, hey, in addition to all that, this is my system, this is my place. You need to go make atonement for everything that you guys have brought in and out of this place all year long. Why do I think it's so important for you and I to understand that even today is because the church still has men and women leading it. The church still has members of congregations coming in and out of it. So when we used to be in the world and say, I'll never go to a church and, and look at what I heard that pastor did and look at what I heard that worship leader did and look at what, what we see them fleecing the flock and, and stealing money and we see all these things happening in the church, we can never forget that God knows that's going to happen, but it's still his system. And he's made a way for it. What we need to be doing is praying for the leaders of the church that they wouldn't allow those things to happen, but also preparing ourselves to know that that has nothing to do with who God is. Amen. And when you're out in the world, you can, you can never understand that. The Bible says that these things are spiritual and you have to have the spirit of God to understand them. But the sad thing is there are a lot of people who are in the church that still don't understand that it's a broken system. But it's only broken because God lets us be a part of it. And that's a glorious thing. Yeah that the perfect God would use imperfect people to be a part of his system. So we make atonement for it. When we're having these pre-service prayers, as, as Ray mentioned, up in four to six, that's what they're doing. They're praying for a broken system with broken people that God would still use it to, to mend lives and do miracles. When you see people walking around the sanctuary, they're praying, Lord, we, we're asking for those who are filled with the enemy to come into this place. We're asking for those that are, that are living in darkness and addicted to drugs and addicted to alcohol and they're abusive and they're liars and they're cheaters. We want them to come into this place so that they can find you. Yes. They can be exposed to your spirit, be exposed to your love, be exposed to your transforming power. But you know what we have to do after that? Amen. We have to go back and anoint and atone and, and sanctify this place. Amen. Or is this a game that many of us are playing come on. Amen. that we call the church? One thing I've realized is that I'm not going to be able to convince everybody in the world of what the church is, but the more I know of what the church is, the more responsible I feel for explaining that to you guys, but also whether anybody gets it, I better live according to what I know. I know that this is the house of God. I know what I'm inviting into this place. I know that if he doesn't expel some of those extras, that it'll remain here. I know that if I'm not prayed for, uh, I can be used as a tool of the enemy to lead people away from God and, to, and people that will not be saved for having sat here for months and for years. But is there anybody with me who knows? Is there anybody with me who's praying? Is there anybody with me who says, you know what, I, I see that as valuable to maybe come a little early to church and do a little praying in this place. 
I see it as valuable, valuable to show up maybe one Sunday a month to pray with understanding. We'll have pray with understanding. You'll see a laundry list of 10, 15 things up there. It says, pray for your pastor. It's not just because I want prayer. It's because... So the chapter ends in Leviticus 16, verse 29. It says, this shall be a statute forever for you. This doesn't end. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen clothes the holy garments that he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting and for the altar and he shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly this shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year and he did as the Lord commanded Moses so at the end of this, he reminds us, hey, this is a holy day season. This ain't a one-time gig. Every year, we got to do it. Every year, you need to pray. Every year, you need to remember. Every year, you need to see what it takes just for you to be allowed to come back into this place for another year. So now, on to the New Testament. That's the old. I think it's pretty clear. But I thank God for the new. In Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews 9. Trumpets and atonement. So Hebrews chapter 9 verse 1 says, Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared. The first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all or the holy of holies which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all its sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Stop there at verse 5. So we're in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1 through 5, and they're talking about this tabernacle. They're talking about the sanctuary. They're talking about the Holy of Holies that... In the Old Testament scriptures that we just read in Leviticus, the same system, right? But it started in verse 1 by saying, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and an earthly sanctuary. What that's supposed to, like, a red light's supposed to pop up and, and you're supposed to, like, see this flashing and say, what does that mean? What it means is, if there's an earthly sanctuary and an earthly system, there also has to be a heavenly sanctuary and a heavenly system. We can remain on the earthly plane like we talked about earlier, or we can have our spirits awaken to the spiritual and heavenly plane that God wants to talk about here. Listen to the items that are in the earthly sanctuary. It's at a lampstand, a table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. We know from our study that the lampstand, it provides light, not just because you need a lampstand, because without light you can't see who Jesus is. If you read the Revelation, it says that they'll remove the lampstand, the light of the Holy Spirit that tells you who Jesus is will be gone. 
It says that you have this showbread. There's this bread that they have to cook every week. Then the priests eat it after a week. It lasts longer than any other bread because it's showing that this is holy manna that's come from heaven. <clears throat> and they call that the sanctuary where many of us come in to worship, right? Then it says behind the second veil, there's a tabernacle of the Holy of Holies. And there is the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all its sides with gold. So picture a box that we talked about. It's made of wood on the inside, then it's overlaid with gold because it represents Jesus, who uh, the wood is like the humanity side, right, that grows from here on the earth. The gold is the heavenly side that God implanted into the world. You can't make gold. It's either here or it's not, and it's sent here from God. So the reason we have the tabernacle, excuse me, the reason that we have uh, the Ark of the Covenant is showing you that he's 100% man, from us, from this earth, but he's also 100% God from heaven. This golden box, so wonderful. If you try to make gold, you know what it's called? Alchemy. That song we heard a couple of weeks ago, um, listen to it again or ask somebody to get you the CD, but it's called alchemy. That's people who try to take metals that are not precious and mix them in a way that they create a precious metal. And that's ultimately what men and women try to do is we say we are not holy, but if we mix ourselves in a certain way, we can feel better about ourselves. And God says there's no such thing as alchemy. Ooh, it's good. Then it says that there's a pot of manna, right, that fell from heaven and it never gets bad. Aaron's rod that budded, it buds and flowers. If, if you take this stuff, if it wasn't fake... <laughs> If this was real, what happens when you break something off from the root, from the, from the soil supply and the water supply? What's eventually going to happen? It dies. The amazing thing about Aaron's rod is it continued to bud with flowers month after month, year after year. Why? Because God was trying to say the same thing about Jesus is that his life source is not the same as your life source. You have life because I breathe it into you. You like the plants of the earth. You need oxygen. You need all these things. He says, but I'm God. I am the source of life. I don't need to be attached to anything. Everything comes from me. That's why Aaron's rod is inside the Ark of the Covenant and it continues to bud and flower, showing that this is a different kind of life than every other life you've seen. Then it had the tablets of the covenant, which are the Ten Commandments that, that uh, Moses got because the Word of God, the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God, the Word was God. He is the Word, so it's got to be inside the Ark of the Covenant as well. And then it says there's cherubim, angels, overshadowing the mercy seat, telling you, again, don't think you can just walk up in here and sit with the king. We have angels protecting this area. The same way when, when Adam and Eve were thrown out of the garden, it says that he put angels and a fiery sword at the entrance into the Garden of Eden. We don't have time, but man, ooh. Tabernacles and atonement. If anything, you got to know when you leave this morning. Your atonement is not a simple thing. Amen. It's not an easy thing. And it's not a secondary thought in the mind of God. Verse 6 of Hebrews 9. We're almost there. Stay with me this morning. So now when these things had been prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went only once a year and not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. 
It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. Stop there at verse 10. It's getting good. God in Hebrews in the New Testament, he's teaching the church. He's teaching you and I this morning. He says, all this stuff that was going on, was pointing to something. Verse 8 says the Holy Spirit indicated it, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. What that means is everything I read to you in Leviticus, everything we've read so far, and all these tables and lamps and bread and, and, and arcs of covenants, all that kind of stuff, what the scripture in Hebrews just said right now, he said even that whole system is put in place to show you that the system can't help you. It's just there while you have the earthy tabernacle. It's just there while you come into buildings. But it's not to save you. It's to show you that no matter what you do, there's a further saving that you need. And it says that the Holy Spirit was the one revealing this. We don't want to pray in the Spirit, though. We want a, we want a salvation that's only Father God and Son Jesus and one-third of our God we don't want to encounter or worship. And then when you read the scriptures, it says that it's actually the spirit that reveals everything to us. Jesus himself said, I'm going back to heaven and I'm going to send my spirit as your helper to teach you, to remind you, and to fill you in a way that everything could be confirmed for you. And that's the one that we deny. And then what does he say? He says the only unpardonable sin is to blaspheme or deny the Holy Spirit because you can't have me without him. So listen to this. Today, when we're trying to be good, it's the Holy Spirit that comes to us and tells us, that the thing that we desire in our goodness, <clears throat> no matter how much we attempt to be good, we're never going to find it, right? Many of us who have tried over the course of our lives, I remember what it was like for me. I'd have these seasons, like, I'm going to be good. <laughs> I'm going to stop being bad. I'm going to stop doing what I do and thinking how I think and acting how I'm going to be good. And the Bible says that it's actually the spirit that tells you, hey, how's that going? <laughs> like, how long do you think you're going to be able to keep this up? Is it really working? And there's something inside of you that says, no, <laughs> it's not working. And I don't think I can keep it up. I'm running as hard as I can, but I'm getting tired. And I know that as soon as I stop, there goes that Satan monster. He's right there. And he's not tired. He's just watching me run in circles like, yeah, you're going to go away again. But I know you'll be right back because you love me. We all know what it's like to go back to something that's not good for us, but we all, we all know what it's like. You know why? Because we love it. And God says the Spirit will tell you that, look, if the best you can do for as long as you can do it with bulls and rams in one day a year and you got to sprinkle it here and sprinkle it there, at the end of doing all that, you know what the Spirit told those people? It still ain't good enough. And that's where many of us find ourselves where we say, if that ain't good enough, there's got to be something else to give us hope or there is no hope. If there's no other option, then we are without hope. We are the people who have hope when the world says that there's no reason to have hope. A guy from a church in uh, San Diego, I met him at a leadership conference, called me or texted me a couple weeks ago and he was just, Tell me about some of the drama they're going through within their church and within their eldership and leaders and things like that. And this particular scripture came to my mind, so I wrote it down, or I, I copied it, and I sent it to him. And, and the part that came to my mind, it says that we need to hope 
beyond hope, right? And his situation looks dark and it looks bleak, but I, I just felt God in my spirit saying to me, like, it doesn't matter how dark it looks. It doesn't matter how bad it looks. We are called to be a people who have hope when there's no reason to have hope. When somebody else looks at your marriage and they're like, dang, get out now. We're called to have hope when there's no reason for hope. When somebody else looks at your kids and is like, you got to separate yourself. Like, there's nothing good ever going to come from them. There's nothing ever going to change in them. You need to separate yourself and your own resource, all that kind of stuff, and get as far away from them as possible. God says, no, you are a people who have hope when there's no reason for hope. The scriptures, Romans 4, 18, go read the the whole thing, but it says, we are those who, contrary to hope, in hope we still believe. Like, the definition of hope would exclude or, or make it where we can't even have the hope that we have, but we have hope that's even contrary to the definition of hope. Amen. So the end of the scripture, 9-11, Hebrews 9-11, says this, but Christ came. <laughs> but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle that's not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having attained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. This means that there's hope. This means that everything that that other system could not do, the perfect son of God can do. It was preparing you for this Passover lamb. It was preparing you for this offering for sin and atonement. Hebrews 6.19 says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever. A new covenant, a new priest, better blood, a new tabernacle that's not made with hands. The priest that had to come in every year and, and make an atonement for himself because he was jacked up for a year, Jesus don't have to do that. The tabernacle that need to move with the people and now we have buildings, there's a new tabernacle. The Bible says that it, where is that new tabernacle? In the hearts of men and women. Amen. That blood of a bull or that blood of a goat or a ram that was only good enough to cleanse your flesh for one year, Right? It says that the blood of Christ is so much better that it cleanses your conscience. It's not just your physical flesh that eventually is going to still get dirty. It's going to deteriorate and die. He says, I'm going to clean your conscience with my blood. You can't get away from your head. You can act different. Many of us remember this too. You were acting different for a long time, but you weren't different in your mind or in your heart. Your flesh looked a little bit different, but your spirit was still just as filthy. Jesus says, I'm the one that comes in clean spirit, cleans conscience. We're going to close. Last few verses of uh, Hebrews 9. Where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force 
after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of these things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. It's showing you this earthly plane and it's showing you this heavenly plane. It's saying everything you heard in Leviticus and, and Numbers and in, in Exodus, right, that's going on with the church to make for this atonement. It says that the same things happen in the heavenly, the same way that a priest would walk in with this blood and do all these things with it. It says that when he died, Jesus walks into heaven with his blood to make atonement for us, right? These priests walk into the presence of God with all these prayers and these different things going on to make atonement for the people of Israel for one year. Just imagine, that's, that's where the presence of God is, over the, over the mercy seat. But Jesus walks into heaven with holes in his hands and holes in his feet and a stab wound in his side and says, this is to make atonement for all who would believe in me. Amen. Once and for all. Yeah. I don't have to do this every year. It's one time and it's good enough and, and it cleanses so thoroughly that it's for anybody who would say one day anywhere on the planet, Jesus, forgive me and save me. One of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible is verse 17 of uh, Hebrews here. It says, a testament is in force after men are dead since it has no power at all while the testator lives. I love when people give testimony, but I always try to remind them. If that thing ain't really dead in your life, your, your testimony has no power. If you get up here and say, I'm not going to sleep around anymore, and you're sleeping around again, your testimony had no power. If you get up here and say that I've been healed of my addiction to drugs and alcohol, and you're back in drugs and alcohol, your testimony has no power. It has to be all the way dead, and there has to be new life inside of you in that area, and then your testimony has power to change the lives of others. So when you take Jesus with, with this testimony needing to be dead, Jesus for, for three years went around testifying about who he was and what he was going to do and how he was going to give eternal life. And then you know what he did? He died. And you know how he confirmed that everything that he said was true? He rose from the dead. The same way he said, listen, you can't kill me. The same way he said, I'm God, I'm the son of God, right? His death gives that testimony power because he raises and confirms that everything that he said was true. Confirms that he's God. Got me thinking about our Wednesday night Bible study. He walks into the church and he tells all these people who are accusing him, yes, I am the son of God. And you're going to see me coming on the clouds of heaven after I get back from the right hand of the power. That's a crazy testimony. And they killed him for it, and they called him a blasphemer. He stands before Pilate, like we just saw on this Wednesday night. He stood before Pilate, and Pilate said, are you the king? He said, yes, I am the king. It's a crazy testimony. You know what I think? If there was a caption when he rose from the grave, which there's not, <laughs> but if there was a caption, 
it would have said, I told you so. <laughs> like straight up, right? Like I've been telling you guys amazing things, crazy things. In John chapter 6, it says he told them so many crazy things that everybody started walking away from him. I told you so. Everything you thought that I said that was crazy, everything you thought that I said didn't matter to you and didn't impact you and it wouldn't affect you. Now the testator has died and he's risen from the dead, proving that everything that I said was true. Jesus says it himself this way in John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the blood that you have to have if you want to come to the Father. I'm the only way into the Holy of Holies. I'm the truth. What I say in my word, there is no other truth. And if you want life, the kind that doesn't need to be reatoned for every year and only cleanses your flesh, you've got to come through me. Amen. So we'll close with the last two verses. And worship team, you guys can come. Last two verses of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28 says, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin, for salvation. <laughs> Are you eagerly waiting this morning for the second coming of Christ? Are you positioning yourself in holiness and righteousness, in confession and in repentance, in remembrance of having this holy day season where you have this trumpet? Did the trumpet sound for you this morning and say, I've got to get to church to get right with God? I've got to get to a place where I can tell him, I remember who you are. I remember what you've done. I remember how you've saved. I remember the system that you put in place. I remember the son that you sent. It's not just a day. I hear the trumpets blowing, and I know that you are the holy creator, God. I know that you created me in your image, but I know that I've fallen. I know that I'm sinful. I know that just like those who, who uh, in the church of old, Every year they recognized that there needed to be this time of atonement. There needed to be this cleansing that they needed to go through. It's not completely gone. You've just ushered in a better system with better blood with your son. But there's still that repentance I got to have. There's still that understanding of being saturated with sin. Are the trumpets blowing for you this holiday season? Have they become holy day season? Or do we not hear a thing? We're not in tune spiritually to what's going on. Hebrews 6.19 says, thank you for choosing this song. This is the verse that this song is written about. And no, I didn't talk to them in advance. <laughs> Remember I said earlier that the waters are stirring, you need to get in? For me, it's simple to see when God's hand is on something. I'm about to read you the verse that this song is written about, which to me means the waters are stirring. You, you better get in. Yeah. Hebrews 6.19, the song says, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. 6.19 says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil into the Holy of Holies, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever. We have a high priest forever. He's not going to die and then a younger one's going to come in and do those things for you. 
He's our hope. He's the anchor for your soul. He goes into the Holy of Holies and then he says, I am the way. Come through me and you can come behind the veil. Into the very presence of God. When, when Aaron had all these rules about how he couldn't go and when he couldn't go, and even when he did go, there still needed to be that separation. Remember, they needed the smoke, right? Jesus says, listen, if you come through me, all that's gone. I'll walk you right up to the Father, and anything you pray, he'll give it to you. You know how you know that's true? Because he said it, not because I said it. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let's stand. Let's worship. If you're here and you're not saved and you want to be, I want you to enter in. I want you to go beyond the veil. You don't have to fix yourself. You cannot fix yourself. All you need to do is say that you want Jesus. And the way that we know that any of us here in this place want Jesus, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody's looking around, it's between you and the Lord. If you don't have Jesus, if you are not washed by this blood, if the atonement for your sin has been wrapped up in trying to be good, if it's been wrapped up in trying to go to church, but it's never gone beyond the earthly things that you're capable of doing and into the heavenly things where it says, only by the blood of Jesus, can your conscience be cleansed? Can you be filled with the Spirit of God? Can there be a true death of certain things in your life and a new life birth within you? All those things have to come through Jesus. The scriptures say that it's by decision that that happens. Not by experience, not by a flash of light, not by stars in the sky. A young man came to him and said, how can I inherit eternal life? He said, leave everything behind and follow me. That young man had a decision to make, and he chose to turn away from Jesus and go the other direction. Jesus had some hard teachings in John chapter 6, and people walked away from him to go another direction. He asked his disciples, do you want to go away too? They said, no. Where else can we go? We believe that you're the Messiah. We believe that you're the Son of God and you have the words of life. Whatever we don't understand is okay with us because what we do understand is where we find salvation. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Do not look around. If you're here and you're not saved, but you want to be, I'm telling you, you need to be. Just raise your hand. You want to give your life to Jesus? You want to be covered with that blood? You don't want to have to pay? The Lord said, one of these lambs has to die. One of these goats has to die. I'm going to set one free in mercy, but one is going to die because an atonement has to be made. The price for sin has to be paid, and the price is death. If you're not saved, raise your hand so that you can be. Don't pay that price that you don't have to pay. Somebody's already willing to pay it for you, and his blood is so good. Anybody else, where you are this morning, before we move on, just raise your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. For the rest of us, as we worship, I'm going to pray, I'm going to release you, but here's the call for the altar. For those that want prayer, God offers help 
for those who are saved. Hebrews 4.15 says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. He was in all points tempted as we are, yet him without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As we have this altar time, I want you to come boldly to the throne, not because you're worth it, not because you're valuable, not because you're a good Christian, but because you know what Jesus has provided for you. He's given you an opportunity to go behind the veil into the very presence of God and say, help me. Be merciful unto me. Forgive me. Bless me. Give unto me. Use me, God. Change me. Because of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, he gives all of us that opportunity. So I'm going to open the altars. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the kids and for the youth. But right now, like Aaron, who had to make atonement for himself, Lord, like Noah, who made an ark for himself and for his family, we come to this altar as individuals doing some one-on-one -on -one work with you. This is not a feast where we all go back to Jerusalem. This is one-on-one -on -one time of fasting, one-on-one -on -one time of praying, one-on-one -on -one time of recognizing who we are and who you are. And we come boldly because Jesus has given us that freedom. And you are the anchor we hold on to. You are sure and you are steadfast. We need you now more than ever before. We love you and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The altars are open. You're released. You can stay in worship. You can stay for prayer or you can be released. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Jesus, Jesus. Oh, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, Lord. I was nowhere you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. For listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.